You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Good morning, church family. Uh, let's continue our series. Can we do that? Not your children's Bible stories. We're going to talk about Noah's Ark today. What do you all know about Noah and Noah's Ark? I know that it is by far the most flannel graph story that's ever existed in the history of flannel graph. And do you all know what flannel graph is? I hope you know what flannel graph is. I um, might have dated myself there. In the comments, please let me know that you know what flannel, flannel graph is. Um, Regardless, it's a really popular story. In fact, it goes beyond the Judeo-Christian tradition. It's a story that has captured the world. It's a story that we've made movies about. So let's talk about this story, okay? Noah's Ark, here we go. How does it inform the way that we are living today? How does it inform some of the uprisings and the revival and the jubilee that we are ushering in? How can it inform us as we do a work to create more flourishing and more restoration? Well, let's talk about what we used to think Noah's Ark meant. What did Noah's Ark mean to you growing up? And I know for me, it was a story about obedience. Be obedient, oh my gosh. Be obedient to your parents. Be obedient to your Sunday school teachers. Be obedient to the ladies that yell at you in the neighborhood, especially them. Do not talk back to them as my parents used to tell me. Be obedient, right? Be obedient to God, because if you don't, there will be death and destruction. Well, how do we know that there will be death and destruction? Let's read about it in the story of Noah's Ark. It says, The Lord saw how the great wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals and the birds and the creatures that moved along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. You see, when you are disobedient to the Lord, the Lord will punish you. and will punish you with flood, with destruction, with drowning. Now, for those of us who are parents, right, I think... Uh, I think there are times where we're disappointed in our creation, right? There are times even that naturally we regret our creation. I think about parents who go through postpartum depression, and and that's okay, right? This is part of nature. Sometimes that happens. But I think we can all agree what's not okay is if we're regretting or if we're, we're feeling disappointed in our creation, that we would harm our creation, right? That's not something that we would do. And if we started to harm our creation, well, then we might have to have others intervene on our behalf, right? We might even have to call a Department of Human Services or someone to intervene on our behalf. We might have to get a bunch of people together uh, for an intervention type meeting, right? Because that does not work. That does not make sense. So why do we accept a God who harms us because of our disobedience? If we don't do it in our own world, why would we do it in a world, uh, why would we do it with a God that we worship? And that's, that's the bottom line. Now here's what happens. What happens is when we look at this story for face value, I don't think it's a story about Noah at all, okay? I think it's about a story about God and about God's character and, what a, what about, and about what God is trying to do in our world. And so I wanna focus on God in this story. 
Okay, I'm not going to focus too much on Noah. I want to focus on God and God's character. Right now, God's character is not great. God is a violent God. And unfortunately, what happens when we worship a violent God is that it's really easy for us to become a violent nation. Okay, so, so when I think about the idea of obedience and disobedience and the idea of being hurt when you are disobedient, I think about what's going on in our world, the fact that, that law enforcement continues to kill people, continues to murder people. And how do we respond when law enforcement kills and murders? Well, we say things like, well, they should have just been obedient. If they would have obeyed the law, this would have never happened, right? Or, or maybe we dig into their past and we find out that they were disobedient at some point in their past. Well, look at that. They, they were disobedient in their past, so you can see why law enforcement enacted violence against them. Do you see that, how a story like Noah, a story like Noah's Ark, uh, allows disobedience uh, to be brought about, or I'm sorry, to, allows disobedience to be something that brings about hurt or pain or violence or death? Here's what I want to say about that. The story of Noah's Ark, without careful examination, continues in us a belief and worship in a violent God. Belief and worship in a violent God produces people who are inherently violent and emboldened to make judgment and take violent action against others. And so the bottom line is that we have to give this story a closer look. The bottom line is that we need to break the story apart into context and into culture and see what's really happening in the story because I think you're going to be surprised about the character of God in this. Let's, let's go beyond the literal. Let's go beyond just the words on the page. And let's first recognize that this story is written during the Bronze Age. So what's going on in the Bronze Age? In the Bronze Age, people are learning how to make tools for the first time using bronze. They're also learning how to make weapons for the first time. Time. And so you're moving from uh, tribal patterns and you're moving into city-states. And for the first time, cities are invading other cities and people are being subjected and people are being hurt and people are being oppressed. And, and so we start to see some of this happen in tribal times. It is safe, or I'm sorry, in, in Bronze Age. It's safe to say that in Bronze Age mm -hmm. that there was an idea of violence that was prevalent. Okay? That's safe to say. And if violence is prevalent, then it's not too big of a stretch for us to believe in a violent God. And if we believe in a violent God, then we would probably write about a violent God during that time. Pete Enns says that the Bible is all about imagining people imagining and reimagining who God is throughout the ages. And so during a Bronze Age, people are doing just that. They're imagining and reimagining who God might be. But let's keep going because we don't just have this one flood story. We, just, we don't have just uh, Noah's Ark. We have dozens of flood stories, dozens. There's a Sumerian flood story. There's a Babylonian flood story. There's a flood story called the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is the most popular. In fact, archeologists found that story intact. There are, are plenty of flood stories that come from African nations. There's one flood story that's told where the boat is round. I just think that's interesting. The boat was round. Uh, in the Quran, there's a flood story. Allah, in that flood story, gets angry, um, and when he restores order to the earth, he actually says, I'm going to make it so that the water is undrinkable, which is why we have oceans. Another interesting fact about flood stories. So we have a lot of flood stories going on. And what we know, what scholars know, is that somewhere around five to 7,000 years ago, uh, there was a flood, right? And the flood probably stretched somewhere from uh, the Black Sea uh, to the Cradle of Civilization, which is considered the intersection of the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. Okay, so what's going on? Well, let's put ourselves in that place. There's a flood coming, so what do you do? You grab your boat 
and you put your livestock on the boat, right? Because that's your livelihood. And so you have all your animals on the boat, you're on the boat, your family's on the boat, and, and you see destruction. You see your, your home is, is being taken over by floods. You see some of your neighbors are dying from these floods, right? And so what are you doing? You're going, well, my whole world is underwater right now. Now we have to remember in those days, it wasn't like they were gonna look for cheap flights to Australia once it was safe to fly again, right? There was none of that. Your immediate world was like a 50 mile square radius, right? So when you see flooding and you see people hurt and, and they're dying and you see atrocity, you're like, oh my gosh, my whole world is underwater, right? And not only that, but what have we done to deserve this? You know, there's no science yet. And so it must be that God is angry with me. I must have done something to disappoint God. I must have been disobedient. And so you're floating along and you're with your family and you have livestock and you're seeing people die and that's how these stories come about, right? People are trying to make sense of what is going on. And the truth of the matter is we don't even need science, right? Because when that last hurricane or whatever happened, there was somebody on TV who was like, oh, it's God's wrath for blah, 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 whatever. I'm just, but you get the point, right? The point is that people are trying to make sense of destruction. They're trying to make sense of hurt. And they say, well, we must have been disobedient. What comes next? Well, I'll tell you what comes next. In every one of those flood stories, every one of those flood stories, we get a God who threatens to harm people again. Everyone, right? So God will say, hey, don't do this again. I'm going to send another flood your way. Oh, I, I will find another way to destroy you should you be disobedient again. But then all of a sudden, our God says something incredibly different. And this is where I want to I focus in on. Our God says this. God says, never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said this. This is a sign of the covenant I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of this earth. Wow. Okay, so what's happening here? So lots of Near East action, other Near East gods saying, hey, I'm going to make sure that you might get hurt again if, if you are disobedient. And our God saying, no, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to make a covenant with you that I'm never going to hurt you again. And I'm going to do that by putting a rainbow in the sky. Now, this is the part I love most, okay? The translation for rainbow is not rainbow like we know it. It's like bow, like a bow and arrow, right? So what's really happening here, what is really happening is there's a God saying, I'm gonna take this weapon, a bow, and I'm gonna hang it up. I'm gonna put it in the sky as a symbol that what was once bad and what was once broken and what was once violent will no longer be that way. It will now be a rainbow. And this rainbow will now be talking about my grace and my inclusion and my peace and my love for you. There's a giant difference here. If we were going to reinterpret scripture, uh, I, would, I would read it this way. I would say, God is saying to us, I take this weapon of war. I'm taking a weapon of destruction. I'm taking a weapon used to subdue and hurt and kill and press and subjugate. And I'm hanging it up and I'm putting it away and I'm leaving it in the sky. 
And so this weapon that was used for war and destruction and hurt, oppression and subjugation, this becomes a symbol of love and inclusion and in grace and a promise of blessing. Wow, this is good news. This is good news. And that was a cheesy wow on my part, but I don't care because it was re it's really good news. I think about that today, right? What's God saying to us today in the same way? I see God going, you know what? I'm going to hang these militarized weapons that we use to kill others in the sky. And I'm going to tell you that I never want to see this happen again. Or I'm going to, I'm going to hang that rocket launcher in the sky. Or I'm going to hang these grenades in the sky. And I'm going to tell you that these will never, ever be used again. Because when I get what I want in the world, that's what I want is pure peace. I am not an angry and violent God. What I want is to see peace reign. What I want to see is love reign. What I want to see is beauty reign. That's what I want. And so this is my promise to you that we put this stuff away and we create that kingdom that I look for. And then this is the part that I love most. And then God doubles down on it. God doesn't do it just in the Noah's Ark story. Then we get Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, a brown man, a brown man who is lynched by the keepers of the law, a brown man lynched by the keepers of the law on a cross. Cross being the symbol for inhumane punishment. Terrible punishment. It's a symbol of disobedience. And what do we get with Jesus? We get something completely different. The cross becomes not a symbol of disobedience and inhumanity. The cross becomes a, a, the symbol of grace. The cross becomes a symbol of love. The cross becomes a symbol of blessing. It becomes a symbol of the fact that God is with us all along. It be, it, it's, it's a symbol of the fact that even in our disobedience, we are still loved and still always and never not God's children, right? It's beautiful. Now, so many of us have like cross tattoos. I know I have one. It's the first tattoo I ever got. But regardless, like I did not put it on my arm because I was like, oh, I want this symbol of death on my arm. No. See, what God is doing is God is changing and he's hanging it up. He's saying, no, this thing that was once thought about for death and disobedience, I now use to bring love, grace, blessing to you. It changes the story a little bit. And this is what it does to us. It makes us understand that, that God is trying to disrupt us. There's a d disruption, a progression. It's a progression that goes against the culture of the day and asks the reader to have courage that God may be more gracious and progressive than we can imagine. You see, you have to go back to that Bronze Age. And when people in the Bronze Age read a story where God puts a bow up in the sky and says, never again, well, that would be a weak God. That's a weak God. I can't believe you have a God who's not violent and, and we're going to invade you next because you seem to have a God who's more passive, right? It would be so progressive that people would have been like, let's, you know, let's attack them, right? It, it, it's so unimaginable, and yet it's what God is doing. And so how is God doing the unimaginable in our life right now? How is God asking us to move in such a way that we radically change the way that life can look? How do we enact God's kingdom? How do we do that? Um, uh, how do we reimagine the way uh, that the culture of the day can be reshaped and reformed? I think about 150 years ago, and I've been reading a ton, and in the reading there were so many who could never imagine that slavery might end. And it does. A hundred years ago, there were people who could not imagine that women would ever have the right to vote, and then it happens. And there was a, a time, you know, just a few years ago, where people could never imagine that, that queer-identifying folks would have equitable rights. 
and all of a sudden that happens. And yeah, there's still work to do, but what God is doing is God is saying, can you continue to move in such a way where we can radically reimagine what life might look like, where we push weapons of war, where we, we push ideas of disobedience and destruction and violence, and we move them in such a way that they become uh, ways of love and, and ways of inclusion and way of grace and ways of blessing, right? Can we do that? And so right now, perhaps, we're struggling to imagine equity for trans lives or equity for black lives or equity for black trans lives. We're, we're struggling to imagine the end of white supremacy. We're struggling to imagine uh, the end of a militarized police state. We're struggling to imagine it. And what I would say to that is Noah couldn't imagine a rainbow either. Noah couldn't imagine a rainbow either. God is at work in us. God is asking us to move and to progress in such a way that we reimagine the world looking more gracious, more inclusive, more loving. And so that starts with us. It starts with us knowing that there is not a God who punishes us for disobedience. There is a God who only wants us to be restored, right? Like I said last week, God is all about restorative justice. God's not about destruction for us. God's about restoration for us. So let's bring restoration, right? Let's bring it. How do we bring restoration? Well, we're going to drop some, some links in the comment section. But remember, we can bring restoration by educating ourselves. Let's, let's continue to read. I know that this week Forefront has put up a bunch of great links that ask us to imagine what life might look like when we have equity for our black siblings, right? Check those links out. That's an easy place to start. Have conversations after this, uh, after this uh, worship, right? We're going, to, we're going to go into our Zoom conversations. We're going to continue to talk about what equity, restoration, and flourishing looks like. Join us, okay? Do those things. On Wednesdays, we've been calling our legislators and asking them to enact life-giving policy that imagines a change that moves beyond violence and destruction and into love and inclusion. Be a part of that process. Make those calls. And we don't do it. We do not do it because we're political or, you know, we're, you know, we're a church that is, you know, no better than, uh, you know, lobbyists or whatever. That, that's what people have been saying. Some, some people have been saying. No, I'll tell you why we do this. We do this because this is the gospel. It's the gospel that starts with Noah's Ark and moves us to a life-changing shift with Jesus. And then we get to be a part of that same life-changing shift right now. That's exciting. That's good news. And I know there's some of us who are tired some of us are exhausted by this. Some of us have been way more exhausted by this than others for a longer time than others, right? There's truth to that. Some of us are going, oh my God, are we going to keep preaching on equity? And, and you know, are we going to keep preaching on changing the world? Yeah, we're going to keep preaching on it. You know why? There's a bit of a flood happening in our world right now. There's a bit of a, uh, there's a dire need for change. There's a dire need to end violence. There's a dire need to end destruction. And so let's hang in there. Let's support one another because there is a God at work in each and every one of us. And the God at work in each and every one of us says this. He says, I want you to go against your culture of the day. And I want to ask you to have courage that I am more gracious and more progressive than you could ever imagine. So work with me to disrupt norms and work with me to disrupt the status quo and work with me to usher in the kingdom that I desire. And to that I say, are y'all with us? And if so, then amen and amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church family. 
Thank you for this church family that works, that works together, that works in unity. Thank you for this church family that, that does want to usher in a new and different way of seeing this kingdom, that does want to see an end to violence. Thank you for a community that does want to see a new way of looking at inclusion and love. Thank you for that. And God, thank you that when we are disobedient, when we don't get it wrong, when we do make mistakes, that you're not a God who wants destruction, but you are a God who only wants restoration. And so I pray that for us in our church family, in our community, that when we are getting it wrong and when we're messing it up, which we absolutely will, that you would model for us the same, that we would model the same grace that you showed us, God. And we would be gracious towards one another in our learning and in our acting and in our ushering in the next 500 years. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.